Paul McLaughlin, McLaughlin at Work, your premier audio guide to the workplace, the work wonk, speaking today about social marketing and the uh, on the other end of the microphone, David Meerman Scott, who is a best-selling author, uh, author's of a number of books, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR, which has uh, had some extraordinary fame in the book world. Uh, the book that he has written this time, entitled Worldwide Rave, Creating Triggers That Get Millions of People to Spread Your Ideas and Share Your Stories, is uh, has broad applicability, as David Meerman Scott will tell us, um, last time saying David Meerman, uh, it's all <laughs> a little bit about the story. David, welcome to McLaughlin at work and give us, um, why you David Meerman Scott and not just, uh, D Scott. Yeah, right. Hey, good to be here, Paul. Thanks for having me on. So, um, I actually use my middle name for search engine marketing purposes and it's an, actually an interesting thing for people who are listening in to be thinking about. I, um, about 10 years ago, uh, I was working on my first book, which happened to be a novel. And I did a Google search for David Scott, which is my name. And there were there were hundreds and hundreds of people with the name David Scott that popped up on Google. There's a David Scott who walked on the moon as the commander of Apollo 15. There's a David Scott who's a member of Congress from Georgia. There's a David Scott who is an Ironman triathlon champion. Of course, none of them are me. So I started using my middle name, Meerman, um, as, I, as I was publishing books. And then when I went on my own in 2002, just kept it. And, and that's who I am now online. And when, the lesson there is when you're creating something that you want people to find on search engines, a product name, a company name, uh, a service offering, um, it's a great idea to find out whether if uh, people enter that term into Google, they'll find you. It's still surprising to me that if you put McLaughlin in, for, for some reason, my wedding announcement shows up <laughs> in the New York Times. Once they get but I imagine McLaughlin at work, it's just you, right? It is. McLaughlin. Because I, cause I, did that if, I did that yesterday. And what did you find? I found you. Yeah. Tons of references to, to the show. Yeah. Well, and that's what's important, you know. It's it is. really well, critical. Back up, back up, back up, because we've, we've jumped way into the middle of this. We have. People who are not familiar with what you are talking about. I'd like you to set the stage sure. and, and tell people, because I, I have, in fact, read your book, which I found both, uh, let me see, people say that I write the way I sound, and you probably write the way you sound. That's what everybody says, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you've written a book called Worldwide Rave. Yes. And tell us about it in the context of how it reflects what you are, the book, how sure. it reflects what you are, what you do, and what you are proposing for people to get their name out, those triggers you were Absolutely, to. absolutely. So the stage. Absolutely. So um, prior to the web, and I'm talking about the 1990s and prior to that, um, we as, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as marketers, as communicators, really only had two ways to reach people. We could either buy advertising, magazine advertising, radio, television, newspaper, yellow pages, billboards, um, trade show, booth space, direct mail lists are all forms of advertising. Or 
we could try to convince the media to write or broadcast about us and our products and services. And there really weren't very many other options open to us. And what the web allows us to do, the Internet allows us to do, is create something that's really interesting for people, that's really valuable for the, for them, that they will be eager to consume, uh, that they'll be um, excited to share with their friends and their colleagues and their family members, perhaps sharing it on their blog if they have one, sending a link to their friends through email, um, those sorts of things. And I think it's, it's just one of the most incredibly liberating things that we've got out there now as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as marketers, that instead of relying on these uh, you know, tried and true methods that have worked for, for decades and decades of buying access or um, getting the media to provide attention, we can create it ourselves. And that's what I wrote about. That's, um, uh, to me, one of the most uh, fun and exciting ways to get the word out there. Now, it's interesting, if I may be bold, to speak to somebody like yourself who is of an age where he was part of legacy thinking. Yes. Um, and we see people who I would say, you know, if you wanted to call the, the folks at Google or certainly Facebook as uh, growing up inside it. So you were you were part of the you were part of the old world, and then you became part of the new. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about that. Absolutely. How, how does that work? Is it, are you a convert, and therefore <laughs> you think differently? Or yeah. You're no kid. No, that's a uh, thank you. Uh, I'm not. I'm 48. I just turned 48. And um, I, the the term I've thrown around is digital natives for people who are in their 20s like and, and teens, people who literally grew up in the digital world. I call you know, digital natives is the term. But m many of us, you and me certainly, are not digital natives. We've had to sort of learn what's going on out there. Um, I, I was a vice president of marketing for several different technology companies, um, in the um, time period before we had this option of going out onto the web, I was vice president of marketing at Thomson Corporation, at News Edge, and, and, and whatnot. And so I learned marketing, but at the same time, the businesses that I wor worked for were in the electronic information business. So I learned as well, my first job actually was on a trading floor in Wall Street. I worked in the World Trade Center, and I was looking at screens all day in order to trade bonds. And, and so I learned how information provides um, the, 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 inform the, the knowledge that people need to, to create action. And if I can just interject, yeah. you were probably working off of Bloomberg? Um, uh, it was actually, when I first started, it was prior to Bloomberg. It was Reuters, Dow wow. Jones, okay. and then a little bit later, um, uh, Bloomberg came about, so, so we had, you know, there was access to the Bloomberg screens as well. And so... Take, take, take people back to that. Um, yeah. There, there, what was it like? What, what, did, what did Bloomberg do? Because in some measure... He did what social networking is doing today. Absolutely. Tell what, us about that. He Give did. He did. And, and you know what? You're the first person who's ever asked me that. And, and you're absolutely right. Um, what Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg realized, he was a trader at Salman Brothers before he started his own business. What he realized is that in order to trade bonds, you need to have as much information as possible. And he created an electronic it's a close. It's a closed circuit electronic information system. Very close. That kick. Very close. <laughs> you know a lot about the 
the Bloomberg so, system. That's interesting. Do you have a background in, in financial uh, I worked markets? for Solomon Brothers. Ah, okay. Um, but good, I wasn't good. on the trading side. Yeah, all right. So you're, I'm, I'm aware of the Bloomberg story. Yeah, yeah. It may be apocryphal, but what he said to John Goodfriend, who was the head of the firm yep. at the time, um, is that he had uh, he uh, he thought that the passage of information was going to be more important than the information itself. That's right, and he was right, and, and he's, he's created man. created a multi billion dollar company as a result, and turned himself into the mayor of New York. But what he realized is that traders sitting on a trading floor need as much information as possible in order to do their jobs, and uh, he created a system that provides provides um, bond prices, it provides news, it provides analysis, and it also interestingly provides provides um, a tool for traders to communicate privately from one to another is essentially one of the very first email systems prior to to sort of the email right. becoming ubiquitous uh -huh. smart guy and so what i'm seeing now um, is and, and what I managed to see probably one of the earliest people to see this is that marketing is the same thing. It's about creating information, disseminating information online. It's about great YouTube videos. It's about really interesting research reports that your company or you can publish. It's about maybe some photographs that you can put up on a site that, that compel people to find out who you are. No different really than the Bloomberg 25 years ago when I was first exposed right. to it, because what it really comes down to now is information. And as consumers um, do research on a product or a service that they might want to buy, I mean, it's, uh, you know, my, the ta our taxes are due in a couple days. It's probably a little bit too late, but imagine going to Google and typing in the phrase Boston tax accountant. You know, the, the people who pop up on a search like that are the people who have the best information, and that's what marketing has turned into today. It's turned into this idea that the person with the best information wins. And I think it's kind of no different than the trading floor of 25 years ago. The person with the best information um, had uh, the, the best trades and be made the most money on the trading floor. And, of course, Bloomberg himself, owning the information, did the best of everybody. I'm speaking with David Scott, the book Worldwide Rave. Uh, you're listening to McLaughlin at Work, the audio guide to the marketplace, the work walk. Enjoying this conversation um, here this morning and learning in the process. Uh, McLaughlin at Work today, as for the last uh, few weeks, brought to you by Classroom 24-7, uh, web learning and access to certification training um, on the web, which fits in nicely with the world rave. Uh, it's a new way of uh, making sure that your employees are getting the training that they have and they don't have to leave their, the, um, the uh, confines of their desk. And the confines of the desk is an interesting element to what uh, David Scott's book, Worldwide Rave, because you're, you are all into, I won't use the word transparency, mm -hmm. but I will use the word openness. So yeah. um, there are two sides, presumably, to well, There are multiple, multiple sides, and I'd hesitate to try and define it any better to a, a gentleman of, of your background. But certainly there is a, there's a consumer for this, there's a provider for this. And I guess from your book, there are still people who are concerned about access and what employees are doing with their time and really what is the value in business of this whole social marketing phenomenon yeah there is there's a huge concern and there's actually two broad 
concerns that I see. The first concern, and you hit on it, is many organizations, and in my my sort of research, I've identified that it's about 25% of organizations, believe that they need to block access to social media sites like Facebook and MySpace and YouTube because they believe that their employees um, if they're if they're able to access those sites will goof off at work and and use it use those sites uh, and not get any work done and um, you know in, in all the discussions I've had with 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 lots and lots of different organizations that that's a that's a that's the wrong kind of argument because um, what those sorts of companies that block access to those sites are saying is we don't trust you we don't trust our employees to do their job so because we don't trust them we're going to block access to these social media sites and it's a very short-sighted thing because companies don't block access to the water cooler yet they trust the employee that they're not going to hang out in front of the water cooler for for six hours uh, at a stretch companies don't block employees from using email um, because they can trust the employee that they're not going to communicate with their spouse for six hours a day using email. So they need to be doing the same thing with social media. Maybe, maybe if they did, there'd be better marriages. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I actually know a number of of people who've worked at some of these companies that say, "I'm going to quit. I don't want to work here if they don't trust me." Um, the second aspect, which is probably more important from the, dis- the perspective of, of a marketer, is that there's a lot of organizations who are very, very fearful of putting themselves out there in the world of social media, and, and I call it losing control of their marketing and their messages, because if you want people to spread your ideas and tell your stories, if you want people to talk about you online, if you want bloggers to write good things about you, if you want people to to talk about you on their Facebook pages, you have to let them do it. And the way the way that you have to do that is to be um, you know, use use the word open and transparent and whatnot. Those are some of the words, but you have to put yourself out there in a way that you're providing the sorts of information that will be encourage people to share. And to, so many companies are fearful of that because what they're fearful of is, oh my gosh, if I open myself up, people might say something bad about me. Well, I got news for you. If you're worth talking about in a negative way, they're going to say that whether you're you're putting yourself out there or not. And ultimately, organizations want to do business with other human beings. You know, as a consumer, I want to do business with an organization that I know that there's real people behind that that care about me. And part of that is putting yourself out there using social media. Yeah, it's it's um it's a, it it really is a mind-boggling subject. And, and I say that because sometimes the enormity of what you control or what you have access to and what you don't control yeah. are, are so, sort of, I won't call them competing goods, but they're competing forces. They are. They are. And a great example of this, uh, one of my favorite examples, is Universal Orlando Resorts um, down in Florida. Uh-huh. And um, the vice president of marketing at Universal Orlando Resorts is named Cindy Gordon. And about a year ago, she was charged by her organization with launching a new theme park and announcing it to the world. Um, and she, you know, Universal Orlando Resort's big company, she had access to a huge budget if she had wanted to use it. She could have done TV commercials. She could have 
bought expensive direct mail lists. She could have hired the best agencies on Madison Avenue to help her to do this. But instead, um, when Cindy Gordon went to launch the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park at Universal Orlando Resorts, she didn't do any of that traditional sort of in-your-face marketing. Instead, she told the seven most popular bloggers about Harry Potter, and that's all she did. And she, she, she accepted that if she tells the seven most popular bloggers about Harry Potter, for example, one of those blogs is MuggleNet, and, w- and the way she did it was that she invited them to a secret midnight webcast where Stuart Craig, who's the Academy Award-winning set designer for the films, was on the webcast and explained, hey, we're doing this new theme park together. It's going to be really cool. Those seven bloggers then wrote about it like crazy, and other bloggers picked up on it, and people emailed it to their friends, and then mainstream media picked up on it because they read the blogs. And as a result of that, um, Cindy told me that 350 million people heard about the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in just 24 hours. But she also told me she thought she was going to get fired <laughs> because <laughs> she did, because she, because she said to her bosses, I don't want to spend money on TV commercials. I don't want to spend money on, on agencies to pitch the media for me, PR agencies. I just want to tell the people who I know are going to get this story out there for me, and those are these seven bloggers. And her bosses said, oh, my God, that's really scary. What if they say something bad? Oh, my gosh, that's really scary. Well, we've always launched uh, new um, initiatives by having a huge, expensive marketing campaign. And Cindy was right, and her bosses weren't. It worked brilliantly. Um, And it's a great illustration of what can be done. But very, very few organizations think that way, unfortunately. They, 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 They... they generally get scared of trying to do something like that and then just sort of revert to the the thing that won't get you fired, which is to spend a whole lot of money on advertising. But, you know, the organizations that do that, and I'm kind of thinking like the auto companies are a great example, spending billions of dollars on TV commercials and sponsoring Super Bowls and, and, and doing all of this magazine and, and newspaper advertising that they do. I mean, where has that put them, you know? Right. Yeah, and, and I know that's maybe an unfair example, but, um, you know, it's not just about buying attention anymore. It's right. about they, they generating are... attention in new ways. Well, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think you have another example in your book about Apple, but I think that the, um, you know, if you take the example of, of Harry Potter versus the auto industry, Harry <laughs> Potter's a pretty good product, and a lot of people well, yeah. it up. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yep. it's just you know you, you you need to she she had the advantage of of having 350 million people who were interested. Yeah. I'm not sure that w- w- GM would love to have that same that same number. Um let, let, let's allow ourselves to here to to drift a little bit. Sure. Um when you talk about the the isn't isn't the example that you gave really uh the reality of social marketing, and I, when I say that, and I'm thinking as I speak here, but Facebook, take Facebook. A mm-hmm. couple of kids at Harvard who wanted to get the word out about fellow students. So right. it started very small, yeah. much like Harry Potter. How do you do it? Yeah. Unintended consequences met an opportunity and a technology that was becoming, was not, but was becoming virulent. Yes. Um, isn't that in uh, and this this is the question 
Isn't that, in your experience, that a lot of what is going to happen here over the next few years are exactly the kinds of things that you're talking about, where somebody will come in with a new idea, legacy thinking will say, I'm not sure that's going to work. Yeah. They'll do it, they'll risk, and at times, and we know that there's, there have been social uh, networking failures, social marketing failures. Of course, failures. tons of them, yeah. So, how do you? I guess it's a little bit like chaos theory. How do you predict? <laughs> how do you predict that chaos is going to be good for you? Yeah, right, right, right. Really good. That's a really good question. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned Facebook. Another example, which I think is fascinating, and very few people know this, is YouTube was started because, again, a couple of really young people wanted to see the Janet Jackson um, wardrobe malfunction. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to share it with their friends, and they realized there wasn't an easy way to share videos online. So they created YouTube and sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars to Google, and, and everyone's happy and healthy. But here's what I see. When when these new social networking sites pop up, Facebook is a great example. YouTube is a great example. A new one these days is Twitter, which is microblogging. A lot of, a lot of stories about Twitter in the news these days. What happens do you is... Do you Twitter? Do you tweet? I do. I'm I'm pretty big into it. Are you? I'm not. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not in part because um, it's a little bit like Bloomberg. Is, it, uh, is the information that's being transmitted worth it in this world? Yeah, and, and I think you can't be on all social networking sites. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I have a, uh, a channel on YouTube. I am not on MySpace. I am not on LinkedIn. And I think that's what happens is you choose the ones that are right for you and you know, I, sometimes people say they feel guilty because they're not on Twitter or they feel guilty because they don't have a Facebook page. That's crazy. I mean, do what you need to do, reach your buyers, and you know, don't obsess about trying to be on everyone because you can't because there's literally thousands of social networking sites. But here's what I, what I think works for marketers, for business owners, and by the way, also for personal branding. You know, people perhaps maybe listening in, maybe looking for a new job, for example. Personal branding is also very, very important to do on the web. What happens if somebody Googles your name and your last employer? What comes up? Hopefully it's a great site that you've written yourself. But anyway, when, when there's a new social networking site that pops up, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, marketers tend to apply their existing mindset to that new channel. So someone who's really good at TV commercials because they work for a Madison Avenue ad agency will try to make YouTube into a channel for um, showing TV commercials. Or someone who's good at at, um, doing magazine ads will try to do banner ads on Facebook, and and that'll be the way they go. But in all of those cases, the, the marketing that tends to work the best are people who say, this is a new channel. It's a new way to communicate. How can I take what's great about this new channel and the reason that people use it and turn that into something that's going to be really interesting for the people I'm trying to reach. And a great example of that with YouTube is uh, this company, little company called Blendtec, and they make blenders, and they compete with Oster and KitchenAid and a bunch of others, but they're much smaller. And they, cr- they did a series of YouTube videos called Will It Blend?, where they take one of their blenders and they blend things like light bulbs and rubber hoses and golf balls, and and they blend an iPhone, which is my favorite one. And these videos have been seen 50 million times. The iPhone, just the iPhone one has been seen about 6 million times. And when I spoke with the folks at Blendtec, they they do all of these videos in their office. The star of the show is the CEO of the company called Tom Dixon. 
and and as a result of doing these YouTube videos, their sales of blenders have gone up fivefold. They sell five times as many blenders to the consumer market today than they did before they did these videos. What they realize is that YouTube is a different channel. People are looking for different things. In this case, what one of the things people are looking for on YouTube is entertainment. They want to have little one-minute snippets of entertainment. How long are they? Uh, They're one minute apiece. One minute. Yep. And they people they realize people want one minute of entertainment. It's not about selling the product per se, because they never try to sell the product. They but they do show the product in action. Um, so so I think when these new um, social networking sites come out, the the successful marketers are those that sit back and say, I can't necessarily apply what I already know to this. This is different. How can I um, how can I be creative and how can I create something on here that will reach my buyers in in social networking it's it's interesting it's sort of a blend in and of itself when you talk about social networking you then you mentioned a number of uh, different sites you wouldn't uh, LinkedIn is not a travel site it is uh, presumably or it was started as a professional professional will, networking, site. networking site it seems to me that in the proverbial Venn diagrams that we learned a long time ago, that there's a big crossover now between business and social. I think there is. And um, I, I kind of liken it to a cocktail party. And, you know, if you're invited to a cocktail party at your neighbor's house down the street um, and you go there, you don't sort of say to your spouse or, your, or, your, or the person you're going with, okay, this is not... Um, a, a business uh, event. This is totally personal. Therefore, I can never talk about business. You go in and you meet people, and maybe they'll say, "What business are you in?" Or maybe they'll say, "Where do you work?" And you know, maybe you'll talk about um, your, your hobbies. I mean, you, you talk about different things when you meet people at a cocktail party. And the same thing is it, I'm seeing as being very, very true with social networking sites is that. Um, our work life and our professional life and our family life um, have a tendency to merge and morph and, and converge in social networking. And you can resist it, and in some cases it, it may be a good idea to, to keep your family separate, you know. But I do think that the people who are successful in pushing themselves out there and, and having, you know, really popular presence in social networking sites realize that, you know, and I, I do this myself, you know, if I'm, if I'm, um, going on a trip, and for example, on on Friday I go to Wellington, New Zealand, where I'm giving a speech early next week at a conference. I go on um, Twitter and I say, "Hey, I'm going coming to Wellington, New Zealand. Anybody want to get together for a coffee?" Now I don't know anybody in Wellington, but I have um, t uh, something like twelve thousand followers on Twitter. So if I send out a tweet. I'm bound to find, and I did, I'm bound to find somebody who will pop up their head and say, hey, I live in Wellington, I'd love to meet you. Uh, I've read your books, let's get together for coffee. And all of a sudden, I've got somebody to meet. Now, I've just, I've just managed to um, converge my work life and my professional life, and in a, in a good way. And, and I think that that's what's happening out there. It's the same as the cocktail party where you have a chat with somebody about something you do in your career. Interesting. We um, were talking earlier this week with uh, Bob Bodine, who has a book called The Power of Who. Mm. And he
he talks a little bit about social networking. Um, his he's an executive recruiter in the sports and entertainment, right, field, right, and, and very well known um, in in his field. Uh, and we talked a little bit about it in the context of what is real and what is not. And and um, his point was that among networking, uh, that that networking is really uh, networking among people who you don't know is a waste of time. And that essentially that your your next opportunity in the job market, if if you will, is going to come through a network of of friends, uh, single friend one three twelve, and then the the, the ripple effect goes yeah. out. Yeah. Um, is is social networking a phase that all of us are going through because it is now available and new? Is is I think the example that you gave on Twitter is superb, and, and it certainly gives it greater legs than when you listen to uh, those Shaq, I guess, who is a, a great Twitterer, <laughs> yeah. about what he's wearing and what he's doing. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, is and I don't, I don't hear anybody saying any more about Chinese meals than they leave you hungry an hour later. Is, <laughs> is Twitter something? Where's this going? Right in the middle here, talking to David Meerman Scott, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I, but I want to get the philosophy here. Sure. What, what do you think about this whole thing of being? We've got earbuds in. We're looking yep. at screens. Yep. Yep. In in a in a cosmic sense. Okay. Where does this all go? I'll give you my cosmic answer as long as you you asked it in a cosmic way here. Here here's what I think is happening in a, from a really big picture is. Until about 60 years ago, you know, so I'm thinking from, I mean, from 500 years ago till 60 years ago, yep. we as humans would communicate in person, physically. We would go to the town square, and if you had, and I'm thinking about a little bit from the marketing perspective here, and it's same as your headhunter example, by the way, you know, maybe you, you go to the town square and you, you want to do some work, you know, you you, you want to dig some ditches and who needs some ditches dug and you go to the town square with your shovel and maybe you get hired or or maybe you have a chicken to sell and you go or some eggs to sell and you go to the town square and you sell your chicken you sell your eggs I and mean, that's what happened for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years um and all of a sudden 60 years ago we have mass we have mass media it sort of emerges television uh, national magazines, radio emerges as a way that organizations communicate, that companies communicate, that and, people and, and, communicate. And if I could just interject the timing that I see, because I live through it, yeah. is when um, when the war in Vietnam was brought to people's television sets every night. Interesting. Okay, good. Because I I was I was uh, I, I remember that too. I was young, and 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 so all of a sudden from People learning about things from their neighbors or um, the the guy on the the guy at the street corner. We started to learn things from the box, the TV, from from newspapers and whatnot, and and it became kind of a mass marketing thing as well. You know, Crest toothpaste. The way you sell it is you do TV commercials, and so I think what. What the web allows us to do, and by the way, there's billions of people on the web, and and every time I give a speech, you know, everyone everyone in the audience is on the web. It's not like it's it's a small percentage; it's everyone's on the web. And what what these social networking sites allow us to do is now we can, in a virtual way, do the same things that we've done for hundreds and hundreds of years as humans, which is maintain relationships with people. 
um, almost face-to-face, although it's virtual. We can communicate with people. We can um, do personal communications. We can tell people what we're up to. We can sell our virtual chicken on the virtual town square. We can sell our ditch-digging services virtually to, to, to potential employers. And, and it's an incredibly liberating kind of thing to be able to all of a sudden have this kind of human relationship again um, after we've spent so much time on the, the mass media kind of one unidirectional from company to consumer, from uh, journalist to reader or, or listener. And, and all of a sudden we've got something that's a little bit different. So um, I think that it's here to stay, um, the whole social networking thing. I think that the tools will change. I mean, as Twitter is, is hot now, Facebook is hot now. That those things will change and morph, and we'll have new ones, and other ones will, will will change. But ultimately, social networking is here. The way to find a job is through social networking. The way to sell a product is through social networking. My my friend Dr. Smith is a dentist here in Boston, and I love this example because it really brings it home. The whole town square thing, and she for. Uh, for years has been advertising her dental practice the way everybody knows you have to advertise a dental practice through the yellow pages. And on the yellow, you know, she spent $2,000 per month on yellow page ads, month in and month out. And her business, her dental practice was worth approximately $150,000 in revenue as a result of doing what everyone knows you do, which is this one-way, unidirectional broadcast kind of advertising in the telephone directory. And she's called by the Yellow Pages to do that. And she, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, that's what everybody knows you do. And all of a sudden she says, I'm not going to do that anymore. I, there's got to be a better way. And she's into social networking. So she started a blog called the Healthy Smiles blog. And then she wrote and published her very own ebook. And an ebook is just uh, a PDF document. She put it on her blog and she put it on her site. And the ebook was called Healthy Mouth, Healthy Sex. <laughs> and it, it's a wonderful ebook. It's I, about I the relationship. The book. Yeah, it's about the relationship between your oral health and your sex life. And people said, "Wow, this is interesting." And through social networking, people shared it with their friends. They emailed it to their friends. I blogged about it. Other bloggers blogged about it. People put it on their Facebook pages. And the amount of of business that Dr. Smith gets now. This is just two years after she she published this ebook and, and her blog. Is um, she's now her revenue is over a million dollars a year, from one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to a million dollars a year in a couple of years, because what she did was she and and by the way she doesn't spend any more money on yellow page ads. She eighteen months ago she stopped doing her yellow page ads, <laughs> and because she's she's out there communicating in the virtual town square. She said. I'm going to just go to the town square, which is social media, and I'm going to tell people I've got a great dental practice, and I'm going to give them something valuable, which is information in my blog and information in my e-books, and people will come to me, and they do. And so I think, again, that you know, if you're looking for a job, if you have a product or a service to sell, um, if, you're, you know, if, you're, if you want to be, do business in today's world, it's about putting yourself out there in these uh, social networking sites. I'm speaking with David Scott. He is a best-selling author. The book in my hand is entitled Worldwide Rave. He's with me, Paul McLaughlin, The Work Walk. 
the premier audio guide to the workplace. This is a hardbound book that comes out uh, through Joseph, uh, through Wiley, uh, Wiley and Company, a, a prestigious imprint, I think it's fair to say. And um, even it, it's, it's curious that here we are in two medium, two media, if you will, your book in my hand, a hardcover, yep. um, and we're talking on a uh, internet radio program, and we're talking about social networking. Um, the means of communicating here, David Scott, uh, where, where, where's the voice going? Where is audio going? Where is the book going? Is it all part of a piece? And, and parenthetically, I'm just wondering, in your example of Dr. Smith, the dentist, on <laughs> Yellow Pages, has Yellow Pages attempted to become its own social network? Um, yeah, good, good, good question. First of all, on Yellow Pages, um, they've put the Yellow Pages on the web, and they now, they now tell people if you advertise in the print Yellow Pages, you get search engine-optimized content for free. And I'm not going to comment whether that's valuable or not, but that's what they're doing, the, the Yellow Pages. And, and, by the way, Yellow Pages is a brand. Um, I'm, the telephone directories in general. Right. I think actually they were bought and sold by some private equity firms. I think so. There's, and there's a, a bunch of other money. ones. There's Yellow Book and whatnot. But Correct. But telephone directories in general have said, well, we better get ourselves online. And what they tell to the, the plumber down the street is if you – advertise your plumbing business in the print pay yellow pages, you will also get a search engine optimized yeah. listing. Um, but here's what I think, um, separate of the yellow pages. I think we are absolutely going through a revolution in the ways that people can communicate. I mean, the fact that we're doing Internet radio now is something that didn't exist just a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. The fact that Dr. Smith can publish an e-book is something that didn't exist a couple of years ago. And I think whenever um, we've had another revolution in communications, and I'm thinking back 60 years ago when television first came around, is it doesn't mean that the existing forms of communication Communications go away. When television first came out, people got people wondered whether radio would still survive. Well, it did. Um, and people are now wondering: Is the print book and is our newspapers and magazines going to survive? And they will. There's no question about it. Will it? Will they change? Yeah. Will some of them go bankrupt? Probably. But um, newspapers, magazines, print books will all survive. But it means, as we've discussed over the last 45 minutes, it means that people need to be thinking about how does that make it different right. for what I'm trying to do. Now, I'll give you an example based on the book that you have in your hand, my, my book the, called Worldwide Rave. It came out in March of 2009, and I wanted to, to get it out there in a big way, in a dramatic way when it first came out. And um, Wiley, um, my publisher, and I talked about it and we agreed we would do something really radical first time Wiley has ever done it we made worldwide rave free on Amazon Kindle and also free on the Kindle iPhone application for the first week that the book was for sale in the marketplace now to many to many people in the publishing business that is an insane idea why in the world, when you put your book out, would you make it free? It makes no sense whatsoever. But here's why it does make sense. It makes sense because um, we actually moved, um, actually became the number one book on Kindle 
ever forever i mean it was number one for a week but also probably sold more more business books uh for on kindle sold is the word is free than any other business book that has moved on kindle now there's literally over 10,000 people now who have been exposed to my book who had never heard about it before because it was free um and um uh, there were um Last time I counted 500 people on Twitter who talked about it, and about 35 people on their blogs talked about the fact that my book was free on Kindle. So the amount of people talking up my book, oh my God, it's free on Kindle, you should check it out, it's only going to be free for a week, was unbelievably valuable in terms of um, of the exposure. Now, here's what happened. My former, my, the, the book I published just before Worldwide Rave is called The New Rules of Marketing and PR. As a result of all the buzz around the new book, Worldwide Rave, The New Rules of Marketing and PR hit the Business Week bestseller list. First time that ever happened. Hmm. Um, because people were talking about my ideas. And so... Yeah, the book business is changing, the newspaper business is changing, magazines. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean that they're going away. It means how can you think about turning the whole thing on its ear a little bit? And in the case of, of publishing a hardcover book, you know, doing something a little bit radical by making it totally free on the, on the electronic version for the first week that it's out. Now, c- curiously... Uh, maybe it's almost attributable to the, the, the or akin to the stone tablets. <laughs> Did could you have gotten out the substance of your message if you decided not to actually write a book? Yes and no, and here and I've thought a lot about that. My main and it comes the the answer comes down to my main business. My main business, the way I feed my family, is giving speeches all over the world and running seminars at companies all over the world. So 90% of my revenue comes when I give, deliver a keynote speech. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to Wellington, New Zealand to deliver a speech next week. And You're leaving your family on a holiday weekend to go pursue. You got it. <laughs> to go to... Go to to, to travel like 30 hours door to door to give a one hour speech. Yeah, that's I exactly right. That. I mean, you got, yeah, it's a little bit weird, but that's how I make my money. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Welcome home, uh, Dad. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so um, if, if I was, if it was just about getting my information into the marketplace, um, a hardcover book doesn't necessarily make any sense. I would just make it totally free and not even do the hardcover book. However, my main business is giving speeches, and the way that companies decide who they want to have give a speech is who's the guy who's got the best-selling book in this subject? Who's the guy whose book is number one on Amazon in this subject? Who's the guy um, whose book I see at, in the airport when I walk, when I walk into the airport um, to go on a trip? That's the guy I want to, to deliver a presentation at my event. So the reality of the speaking business, which is what I'm in, is that the guys who have the best-selling books are the ones who get hired to speak for, uh, you know, for, for a paid speeches, do the keynote speech thing. And therefore, I need to have a hardcover book, uh, and I need to push my books out in that format. But from a purely how many people can I reach with my message perspective, uh, it doesn't necessarily make sense to do a hardcover book. Yeah, interesting. It's always nice to have it on the shelf, and it's um, there. There are elements to it. I, I just it's 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 one of the f- phenomena. I, me- I remember 
examples years ago when when Barnes and Nobles was the, the thought that the bookstore would go out of business. Yeah. Um, and then BarnesandNoble.com and you know, certainly the example of of Apple opening retail stores was thought to be ludicrous at the right. time that they right. did it. So it's 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 new thinking, and the marketplace will make its own judgment. It's almost as if it doesn't make any difference what you what you think. It's really how the market reacts to it. And one of the things about your book that I thought was compelling, and you haven't mentioned it yet, is that in moving uh, the product, you shouldn't talk about the product. Yeah, right. So address that issue. It's a completely counterintuitive kind of thing, but it's absolutely true. Um, I, the rule I put in the book is nobody cares about your products except for you. And the idea here is when when people are looking for a product or service, they're not actually looking for a product or service. They're looking to solve a problem. They're looking, um, and, and, and what they care about is who's going to help me to solve this problem. So um, and the advertising world for decades has been about creating product pitches and talking all about your products in TV commercials and magazine ads and whatnot. And that doesn't work when you want someone to talk about your ideas and spread your ideas online. You know, going back to the couple of examples that we mentioned, Dr. Smith, the dentist, if she had said, I'm the best dentist in the world and I use really good drills and I don't, make you, I don't, I don't hurt you when I drill on you, nobody would have cared. But the fact that she created something that solved a problem, which is the... Um, uh, uh, which is the ebook that she created, um, that was something that people were interested in. It was not about the product. Same thing with Universal Orlando Resorts. If they had said, we've got the, this really cool new theme park and you should come to it, nobody really would have cared that much. But when they got Stuart Craig, the Academy Award-winning set designer, to talk about how they were going to do this really cool new theme park and it was going to be created based on the ideas of the Harry Potter films, that was interesting. So... Ultimately, what that means for us um, as individuals, as for us as someone who is an entrepreneur trying to run a business or a marketer, is resist that urge to talk about yourself. Resist the urge to talk about your company and its products. Instead, think about what you can do, what you can create, what kind of information you can deliver that helps people to solve a problem. When people are going to hire you, this is complete aside brought up by your point, um, to give a, a, a speech, and, and, and the speech obviously is part entertainment, part information. Yep. Um, do they ever? Do you, do you ever provide them with previous speeches or maybe a, a comment from this interview? But they they really take it from the information. But it's a different medium. When you're going down to uh, New Zealand, you're going to be giving a different. You're going to be giving a speech. How do they determine that the speech is going to be good? Based on um, based on a number one selling book. Yeah, so, that's some authors are just uh, <laughs> terrible. Yeah, it's not their medium. Speaking Some people are just appalling. <laughs> um, and, and what I what I do is I have um, uh, two different two different speeches that I've um, that I've recorded video uh, from video with video, and I've got. Um, uh, Ten-minute segments of them available on my site. The reason ten minutes is because that's the limit of YouTube. Uh, YouTube, okay. YouTube will allow you up to ten minutes. So I provide people with a view of how you know how I present. I also have a list of I think there's probably twenty or thirty people now who have given me um, 
a, a, a quote that I can use on my site that okay. says, "Hey, you know, here's what my speech was like." And I and I and I, you know, I signed the quote, the person who gave it to me. So if anybody wanted to reach out to them and ask about me, they could. But you're absolutely right. The fact that you have a best-selling book doesn't mean that you're going to be a good speaker. Uh, uh, I'm sure you'll knock them dead. In, uh, and uh, and, uh, and I I, I, I abs- absolutely love it. I just I just think that giving a, a speech is like the coolest thing in the world because I've I've done probably 250 of them now and I've gotten pretty good at it and I love being able to read an audience I love being able to deliver this information in a personal way I love I love the idea that that I'm kind of like an entertainer as you said but at the same time delivering information that people need to know so um, I realize, and I think the really good speakers do, that they are in that that business of providing entertainment, of providing information at the same time, and it's not just information delivery. Because if it were, they could just read the book. Yeah, exactly. Well, let, let's. Uh, I'm looking at the time here. You've been very generous with it, um, and I want to get uh, want to get down to the mundane and the practical uh, for a minute for the listeners here, McLaughlin at work your audio guide to the workplace. Uh, we underscore audio. Maybe we'll get a book out one of these days. <laughs> Talking to uh, David Scott here and uh, recalling at the uh, foot of this uh, the visual, people will be watching on webtalkradio.net. We're sponsored by Classroom 24-7, your web learning center, and particularly for certification training. Um, if somebody, the people who are listening, have heard the, 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 the story ebook, they want they want a new job. Yep. Um, they want to brand themselves. They want people to be aware of what they are capable of doing and what they could do for an organization. Um, take somebody from ground zero yep. to getting the word out. Right. David Scott. Right. So make so, a personal worldwide rave, as you put it. I thought it triggers an interesting. I haven't seen trigger on a on a cover of a book in a while. <laughs> so it's, you're creating triggers to get, if not millions that your target audience will be made aware of. That's, that's absolutely right. And so when you're looking for a job, it's really no different than when you're selling a product because the product is you. So it's about personal branding. And I know a lot of, of employers um, will go to Google and they'll see if they can find anyone that a lot of employers will ask their Facebook network or their LinkedIn network or their Twitter network, um, hey, do you know anyone who's looking for a job? We've got an opening. So um, the be- the best thing to do is uh, is to create an online presence that points people to you. And the more um, valuable that information is, the more likely it is to succeed. And I have an example in the book about um, a friend of mine named Steve Chazen. He used to work at Apple. And um, a couple of jobs ago in the late 1990s. And then uh, a couple of years ago, about a year ago, he lost his job. He was a vice president of marketing at a small technology company in the Boston area. And so instead of doing what everyone else does, which is create a boring old resume and sending it out to your friends, hoping to find a job, what he did was he created a blog called marketingapple.com, and he created an ebook called marketingapple.com. Now, the difference between a blog and an ebook is what? Yeah, a blog is like a personal, your, your, your pers- the information you put out that you're passionate about. Uh, it's kind of like a wet, your personal website. And an ebook is a PDF document, um, like 15, 20 pages, something like that, um, that um, provides a deeper dive into a subject. A, blog, a typical blog post might be 500 words. 
a typical ebook might be 5,000 words, so it's okay. in more detail. Yep. And he put out a blog and an ebook, both of them called Marketing Apple, about um, the secrets of Apple's marketing success, partly based on the fact that he used to work there. And it got literally hundreds of thousands of people who downloaded it. He was um, quoted in a National Public Radio NPR story. He was quoted in the newspapers. He was invited to, to speak in Eastern Europe at some conferences. And this is all while he was unemployed. <laughs> and, and as a result of doing this, he had multiple job offers within a couple of months that he could pick and choose from because if people wanted to hire a, a marketing guy, you know, why not hire Steve Chazen? He's the guy who wrote that great Marketing Apple ebook and writes the Marketing Apple blog. And is there, back to your previous comment about the number of these, how, how do you determine where you'll get the most visibility, or do you not have to worry about that? Um, well, you, you probably ought to have a sense of what sort of social networking sites the potential employers that you're trying to reach are on. You know, a lot of people are on LinkedIn, so maybe you should be on LinkedIn. If you're in the entertainment field, probably you want to think about being on MySpace. Um, again, we talked about earlier, you can't be everywhere. So it's a good idea to be thinking about, well, where should I be? What are the most important ones? And one of my uh, issues, if you will, about corporate America is that they don't don't use their own websites to their own advantage. Absolutely. When you talk about social networking, what is the reflection in terms of marketing on what people ought to be doing with their own websites over which they presumably have more control than anything else? Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier is that most corporate websites are just an egotist, a bunch of egotistical nonsense talking about a company's products and services. And ultimately, people aren't looking for brochures on the web. They're looking for companies that can provide information that helps them to solve problems that provides information that helps them to make a decision of whether that company is worthy of doing business with. So the companies that are successful are the ones that understand that putting great information out there uh, on the site or linking from the site is the best form of marketing that there is. And no matter how much effort you put into creating a, an egocentric, e egocentric product-centric website, that's just not going to be as valuable as something that uh, provides answers for people's problems and valuable information. But should people be, should companies be trying to use the social network to drive people to their own websites? Are there we are there websites important, or is this whole social network? Website, yeah, website. Good question. Websites are still important because that's kind of like the hub of the social networking sites. So if you think about, you know, a, a, an individual's presence on the web or a um, or a company's presence on the web. Think of it like a, I mean, literally, literally a web, a spider's web. Um, the center is your site, and then you've got your presence on the other social networking sites as spokes coming out. All of it interconnected. So, yeah, websites are still valuable, still very, very important. It's it's the it's the centerpiece of a good social networking um, uh, presence. Well put, David Meerman Scott, best-selling author of. A previous book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, as he said, has uh, been revitalized by his new book, World Wide Rave, Creating Triggers That Get Millions of People to Spread Your Ideas and shed, Share Your Stories. It has application at the very local level. What am I going to do for a living next? <laughs> and at a much broader level is uh, letting people know what you stand for, what you can do, 
and uh, if you're something to sell, uh, it's an important concept to to appreciate because it's it's the new way of getting the word out. David, thank you very much for uh, for joining us today. Safe journeys down to the land down under, and we wish you good luck on the book. And I'd like to invite you back on uh, McLaughlin at work uh, when you get a chance. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. It was a fun conversation. That's Paul McLaughlin. I'm Paul McLaughlin. That's David Meerman Scott. The book, Worldwide Rave, creating triggers to get millions of people to spread your ideas and share your stories. Readable in a special format that allows you to pick and choose and understand where the world is coming to. The world sometimes in this whole area is moving so quickly that even rave is, I wouldn't say dated, but you got to keep up with this stuff. But I guess that's the way of the world, keeping up. And that's what we try and help you to do here on McLaughlin at Work, your audio guide to the workplace. Paul McLaughlin here with you and looking forward to next week talking with Jason Jennings who has written a very compelling book, Hit the Ground Running, a Manual for New Leaders. It's a discussion of how others have done it before. I think you'll find that informative, and uh, we certainly enjoyed talking with Jason Jennings. All that and more here. McLaughlin at Work, your audio guide to the workplace. See you later next week.